Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Allendary, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Dr. Eric Griggs, Doc Griggs, and I'm a community medicine doctor and health literacy expert. This is the Noids Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician, that's me, and a health literacy and communications expert, that's me, talk to you about what you need to know about COVID-19. You can find more information about this show and our daily live show that airs at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time at noisefiltershow.com. So let's get started. Vegas casinos back in business. As many states move forward with reopening and returning to normal, the case of Las Vegas is especially interesting. Home to the Las Vegas Strip and an array of casinos and nightlife, the city faces a new challenge in how to reopen safely. As of now, Nevada faces over 9,600 cases of COVID-19 and 438 deaths. However, these numbers don't account for tourists and other visitors who contract the virus in Vegas and return home. Last year, the ratio of tourists to local residents was 20 to 1. The contact tracing thus becomes more difficult to account for. During the past week, casinos on the Strip reopened to a flood of visitors, both masked and unmasked. Casinos have constructed plexiglass barriers to separate car dealers from guests. Dice and chips are sanitized after each round. The casinos encourage guests to wear masks. However, it's not required, and many have chosen not to wear masks. Guests are also subject to mandatory temperature checks. Though these safety measures have been put in place, it'll be difficult to determine their effectiveness as contact tracing is complicated by tourism. Nevada, and along with many other states, use the same resident-focused tallying system to avoid counting the same case multiple times in different regions. This system becomes less reliable for tourist destinations such as Vegas, in which tourists outnumber local residents. Accounting for clusters and outbreaks along the Strip is skewed as visitors are not tallied into the Nevada's tracking system. Hey, Doc, sounds like people are taking a real gamble here. What do you think? A joke. That was funny. <laughs> you you threw the die and it landed. Um, I'm actually uh, somewhat concerned, to be perfectly honest with you, because I saw those pictures and I could not believe the people that were out there. Just no social distancing and, and not wearing masks. And what this comes down to is basically a new challenge for several tourist destinations across the U.S. And of course, Doc Gregs, you and I live in a huge tourist destination, and that's, of course, New Orleans. Now, New Orleans has not opened up like Las Vegas has, uh, but even with additional safety measures in place, there still exists the potential for transmission when large groups of people do come together. Now, for tourist destinations in particular, contact tracing and accurate counting of cases and deaths is actually more complicated as travelers and tourists go from place to place and then back home again without ever really being counted for. We will continue to report back on this issue as we cautiously find a safe way to reopen. When can we return back to everyday life according to epidemiologists? So, as you may be aware, there is a branch of health professionals called epidemiologists. And these are the folks who dedicate their working lives to study the incidence, distribution, and possible control of diseases. Given their expertise, it makes sense to turn to them not only for advice about navigating a pandemic, but also for some direction about when we can expect the very elements of our lives, which have been disrupted, to finally return to normal. Now, as a side note, 
I am not only an epidemiologist, but I play one on this podcast as well. In a recent article in the New York Times, more than 500 epidemiologists, I was not one of them, were asked when they can expect to fly, hug, and do 18 other everyday activities again. Some of their responses may shock you. We decided to share some highlights from this survey, and we're going to break them down into three basic categories. Activities they said that they can start this summer, activities they said that they may start in the fall of 2020 or the spring of next year, and finally, activities they did not think would be back to normal for at least another year. So, Doc Griggs, can you kick us off? Absolutely. <laughs> so let's start with the activities they said we might start doing soon. Uh, there were four different activities, namely bringing in mail without precautions, seeing a doctor for a non-urgent appointment, vacationing overnight within driving distance, and uh, sadly, I don't know anymore, but getting a haircut at a salon or barbershop. It's worth noting that in the case of getting a haircut, 41% said this summer, but 39% said not for three to 12 months, and a full 19% said not for over a year. And sadly, for people like myself, that's probably never, but I digress. Sounds like we're going to have a, uh, quite a lot of epidemiologists looking like they're straight out of the 70s, huh, <laughs> Doc? That's actually kind of funny. I, you know, I look like I'm out of the 70s, you know, with my mohawk haircut and everything. I just also want to add that I think that actually getting a haircut uh, done correctly with both the barber or the salon, the, the stylist and the uh, client both being masked uh, with social distancing with other chairs, I think can be possibly done. Your, your joke about uh, epidemiologists looking out of the 70s is a good segue to our next section, which includes activities which these epidemiologists don't plan on engaging in for about three to 12 months. These include riding a subway or a bus, visiting elderly relatives, or working out at a gym. I would note here, in regards to all of these, almost an equal number of epidemiologists didn't plan to return to these activities for at least a year. Doc? Yeah, Doc, I guess it's good I'm not an epidemiologist because in the 70s, I had a full afro. But some other activities, like in this case, which the majority of folks don't think they'll be able to do in the next year are attending a wedding or sadly a funeral or going out with someone they don't know well, stopping routinely uh, wearing a, without wearing a face covering or even hugging or shaking hands when greeting a friend, which I know you're not a fan of, right? Tell me something good because hugging and shaking hands for over a year, that's that hits kind of hard, but again, Doc, that's that was never your thing. Well, that's only just because I'm a germaphobe, but most infectious disease doctors are. So I will say that about 6% of these epidemiologists didn't think that they would ever return to hugging or shaking hands with friends. And, and honestly, I, I think it's a bit extreme. Um, at some point, however, when a vaccine is developed, if one is developed, or we do form herd immunity of 60 to 70 percent of the population actually uh, being uh, infected and developing antibodies, I think that we may uh, reach a point uh, where we can return uh, back to handshaking and, and, and also hugging one another. Now, because these folks notably our experts in their field, it does bear taking note of how they plan to conduct their own return to quote-unquote normality. As we always say, though, the best thing you can do is educate yourself and then make informed decisions, keeping in mind it's not only your health, but the health of those you interact with that's on the line. Tear gas and pepper spray has the potential to maim, kill, and in these days, transmit 
coronavirus. Amidst the pandemic, protests around the country and the world using chemical dispersants to deter crowds have potentially enhanced the transmission of COVID-19. Although police officers use chemical dispersants as alternatives to lethal force, these aerosolized weapons pose serious dangers, was initially developed as a tool for physical and psychological interrogation. Pepper spray is regulated by the Environmental Protection Agency as a pesticide. Concentration in sprays for personal defense are tenfold higher than the amount of capsaicin, the active ingredient in bear spray. High concentration of these chemicals can damage lung cells, leading to pulmonary edema, apnea, and possibly and ultimately death. Last week, a 35-year-old with asthma who was incarcerated died in a New York City jail cell after being pepper sprayed. In addition, and relevant to the current situation, the use of tear gas or pepper spray make people more susceptible to COVID-19. A 2014 study found that military recruits exposed to tear gas were at higher risk of contracting respiratory illnesses such as the flu and pneumonia. The logic is that since these chemicals damage lung tissue, affected individuals are more vulnerable to infections now including the coronavirus. Also, if an infected protester starts violently coughing due to these noxious agents, they will likely take off their mask and spew respiratory droplets everywhere. And we all know coronavirus, COVID-19, is spread by respiratory droplets. Shouting and screaming can cause infectious tears, saliva, and mucus to propel much farther than six feet. This leads to a scenario where one person could infect many, many people. Doc, we've heard about this before with choirs, and there was no tear gas involved. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I mean, there's I have a couple couple different thoughts about this. One is, yes, what you're describing is how uh, certainly speaking loudly, singing, screaming, yelling, the sorts of things that could happen at a uh, at a protest certainly itself is a super spreader event, and we we already documented and, and reported on that here on this podcast. the The idea, however, of of the uh, authorities using these noxious agents uh, as a tool uh, that potentially can increase the likelihood of transmission is particularly uh, tenuous, as far as I'm concerned. And here in New Orleans, about 800 healthcare providers sent a uh, a letter, signed a letter uh, to both the police chief as well well as the mayor uh, demanding uh, the immediate cessation of these uh, chemical irritants. Anyway, that being said, it's exactly as you said, people are going to rub their eyes. And we've reported here on this podcast that that the eyes uh, have those ACE2 uh, receptors in which there can be a transmission that can come into the eyes. And of course, like you said, the coughing, the sneezing, the blowing of the nose, that sort of stuff with the chemical spray. So these uh, this needs to come to a halt immediately especially in the setting of a pandemic. But in conclusion, more than anything else, the healthcare field and disease experts have urged, as I said, police departments to refrain from using chemical dispersants, especially during a pandemic caused by exposure by respiratory droplets. 
Further, many physicians support protests demanding change in the policies and practices that have disproportionately targeted Black communities across the U.S. They are aware of the risk of COVID-19 transmission during protests, but with the use of masks and hand sanitizer, these risks are greatly mitigated. And it is critical for police departments to prioritize the safety of a community that fights against racism and centuries of racial injustice uh, that has been endured by communities of color. And I just want to end just real quickly by saying I have gone to the protests and I have been incredibly impressed with the number of people wearing masks uh, and who have been trying very hard to remain socially distant from one another. But that being said, I, I think this is an important story and we thought that we need to bring it to you. Yeah, we've also been impressed, Doc, with the level of protection that the police have tried to allow for people to exercise their right. We just want them to keep this stuff in mind. You're absolutely right, Doc Riggs. Thanks for listening to the Noise Filter Daily Podcast. Dr. Daria and I have a daily show at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time where we go into more detail on stories and answer your questions about COVID-19. You can find Doc Griggs at DocGriggs1 on social media, and you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at Dr. Derry. You can follow Noise Filter at Noise Filter on social media and NoiseFilterShow.com. Hey, Doc Griggs, any last words? Of course. Remember, get checked, get fit, get moving. And remember to get some rest to boost your immune system. And Doc? Protect yourself and others by staying home. And please wear masks whenever you go outside. Health is a human right.